Hello and welcome to Pathways, where you are invited to join me for a visit with leaders in personal development and cultural evolution. This is your host, Paul O'Brien. Now, before we get to today's program, don't forget about our fundraising drive. To support programming like Pathways, go to kboo.fm slash give or text KBOO to 44321 to become a monthly sustaining member today. It only takes a minute to show your support for community-powered radio. That website, again, is kboo.fm slash give. We need and thank you for your support. Now, today we have a show about love, one of our favorite topics, and specifically about primary relationships. Now, romantic relationships can be a source of great happiness, but they're also fraught with challenges. And today's guest on Pathways is an author who identifies the typical issues that couples encounter and provides effective solutions for overcoming these problems. Our guest is Kelly Miller, author of the book Love Hacks. Simple Solutions to Your Most Common Relationship Issues. Kelly is an in-demand psychotherapist for individuals, couples, and families who specializes in relationships. She has been the host of All Things Relationships on Balance by Nature TV, a co-host of LA Talk Radio, and a relationship expert on Sirius XM and wikihow.com. Kelly has contributed to various national and regional publications and podcasts and speaks to groups of all types and sizes. Well, hello, Kelly, and welcome to The Pathway Show. Hi, thank you so much for having me, and congratulations on your 40th show. Well, that's right. This is our 40th anniversary year of Pathways. Thank you for mentioning that. Now, okay, so you mentioned, and I, I just caught this right mm -hmm. off the bat, you believe it's harder now for couples to work together than it was even a decade ago. What, what What's that about? I think there are so many more distractions now than there were 10 years ago. And so by definition, it's harder for couples to interact on that quality level because there's our phones are pinging, different things are happening. And so it's just harder to be present with one another. And so therefore, I really, really stress that we need to have a no phone zone and just focus on each other. And even if that's for a half hour or an hour, just to have that quality time where it's just the two of you. Now, in your book, Love Hacks, you've identified 15 common relationship challenges. How did you decide mm -hmm. which relationship <laughs> to include? Yeah, there's a lot, right? I mean, it's just like, which one do I pick? I, I really thought about which ones I had heard the most in my office. And that's really what made the list was I would have I'd have interviewed, well, I've counseled a lot of couples. And over time, these were the ones that kept repeatedly coming up. Money, uh, diminished sex drive, I do too many chores, things like that, that, you know, we're fighting about money. So it was those common issues. And that's why I felt like, okay, if I'm hearing it repeatedly, this has got to be across the board, which I do believe it is. Right. Now, you know, I'm just going to pick a few of these because of sure. the ones that I, I found most interesting. Um, mm -hmm. issue, issue number four, we don't have sex anymore. And mm -hmm. you, you write, one of the difficult topics for couples to talk about is the diminished desire for sex and that it's one of the most common issues among couples. This seems to be uh, almost uh, endemic these days, as far as I can right. tell. Well, what do you think accounts for that? 
Yeah. I mean, it could be a variety of things. What I've seen the most is there's usually an, a resentment on one end of the spectrum. And so to me, there's nothing that kills libido more than anger and resentment. So to me, I think we have to work through that emotional piece to then get back to that physical piece. And it's working through and talking about why is somebody hurt? What's going on? What's underneath all this? The only way out is through. We got to talk about it. Aside from the emotional piece, of course, relationships are going to ebb and flow and sex drives do the same. So we have to keep it exciting and a little spicy. And one thing I suggest is doing some adrenaline filled activities. So if you can do something fun, rock climbing, going to a theme park on a roller coaster, something to kind of get that newness and, and passion alive can reignite a lot of that. And so, and even if it's, if you're not an adrenaline seeking person, just something different, like let's try woodworking, let's do a date that we've never done before. Let's even try a restaurant we haven't tried before, you know, something just to keep that newness alive. And then it'll translate into the bedroom. Why do you think it's so difficult for people in our society to, to even talk about sex? And it's kind of mm. slightly embarrassing. Right. I think a lot of these subjects that are very hard to talk about sex, money, those type of religion, I think it's because it's it's really taboo in our society. And it also has to do with how you were modeled this topic growing up. And so a lot of times parents didn't talk about sex with their kids. It's, you know, quiet. And then there's a religious component and same with money. And so I think that's why it's so hard. We're, we're just not taught that it's okay to talk about this and we need to talk about it in order for things to work and in order for things to get better. So I think I think we're just taught to shut it down and not talk about it, put our head in the sand. And I I want to talk I want to talk about it. I want to help couples to communicate more effectively around that. So is that one of the things that you focus on in couples counseling is making it safe for them to talk about things that they may have uh, maybe inhibited in terms of talking? Exactly. Yeah, and 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 you know a lot of times they don't realize why they're so shut down around it. And so one of the questions I ask is, what was it like in your family talking about X, Y, and Z? And it's usually like, yeah, we didn't talk about it. Or that was shut down real quickly. And it's like, oh, okay, that makes sense. And so can we break that pattern? And can you feel more comfortable talking about this? And just understanding the importance of why we need to talk about it makes a huge difference. And what kind of probing question might you uh, ask somebody to prompt them to talk about it? What do you ask them? Sure. Yeah. What, what, you know, what, what are your fears around sex? Um, what are you worried about? You know, are you, can we talk about why there's some embarrassment around there? So, I mean, these are really hard and vulnerable questions, but they're super important. And, you know, it, it it's one of those things I think one time, once a partner opens up, the other one can feel a little bit safer and more comfortable. And I talk about the connection is once we're vulnerable, we feel more connected to our partner. Um, if we're creating this wall and we're not talking, it, it shuts them out. So it's talking about that importance that once you do speak on these difficult subjects, you're going to, to feel more connected. You know, we had a guest on the show um, who wrote a book on uh, sexuality uh, a month ago or so. <laughs> he was saying that there's an orgasm gap between the genders, between men and women. And, mm -hmm. uh, and that, you know, and it kind of brought up the point that men and women are wired somewhat differently. I mean, we have different hormones uh, or different balance of, of hormones. Mm -hmm. um, 
And so I, I wonder if that is something that's difficult to bridge that gap or, or to talk about that uh, with sure. your clients. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think they, they probably realize it on some level, but one of my main tools I talk about a lot is something called the five love languages. Yeah. And I, I just love this tool because it talks about how we all love in different ways. And it's just this idea. I think we all are wired differently. And so in order to feel connected, we need to understand what is our love language. And for some people, it's acts of service. It's when our partner does something for us, we feel more connected. For other people, it's physical touch. And so they feel really connected when they're holding hands or getting a massage. And so it's understanding, yes, we operate differently, but if we can talk about those differences and understand how we love or how our partner wants to be loved, we can feel that connection on a on a deeper level for sure. And then I think, you know, what you're speaking to in regards to sex is understanding, you know, what's what works for us. For some women, they want to feel that emotional connection in order to feel physical. A lot of women, you know, feel that way. Uh, some men, they they feel like they want to feel appreciated. I mean, it. So it's really just understanding what what works for you best. You know, the irony of the whole love language idea is the fact that. Um, if you're like, for instance, I was going out with somebody and um, her one of her primary love languages is receiving gifts. Mm -hmm. Now, this is something that's completely foreign to me. I, I don't care about gifts at all. I, I mean, <laughs> right. I, everybody likes to get a gift. Usually when I get a gift, I end up re-gifting it to somebody else. <laughs> right. And I remember I was, in, on. I was in a relationship a while back and, um, and my girlfriends told me, honey, don't buy me any more jewelry. <laughs> and, I, and evidently she didn't, you know, she just didn't want to deal with the fact that the jewelry I bought her wasn't to her taste or whatever. Uh, uh -huh. I, I find it. So if I'm with, if I'm dating somebody who, uh, whose primary love language is gifts, that's really hard for me because mm -hmm. I can't, yes. can't relate to it. I mean, we tend to psychologically give the other person the thing that we value the most. Exactly. Uh, that's what we think is the really good stuff. Right. But that might not be what they value the most. So there's yep. a real, relationships are a real test of empathy, it seems like. Absolutely. I think you are spot on. And something about the gifts, too, it, it doesn't have to be lavish gifts a lot of times. I think for people whose love language is gifts, it's more the, the fact that you thought about them. So even if it's a card or it's, you know, you know, an air freshener that you saw and you thought of them, you know, I think it's that type of thing. Um, right. So, you know, just for those listeners who are like, oh my God, I, you know, I don't want to spend all this money. It's, it's really the thought in a lot of these cases, but, but I think you're right. We naturally, we show love the way that we want to, to be loved. And so you're right. So it's like, it's like learning that new language of, oh, okay, this isn't, I don't like gifts, but okay, it's important to my partner that they receive gifts. So I'm going to have to you know, show her that love in that way. And it does, it takes some time. You're going to have to learn how to do that. Is it, you know, <laughs> is it okay to ask her, well, what kind of gifts would you like? Or just, sure. she goes, no, no, surprise me. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, but it, in that respect, then you can't, she can't be upset, right? Because she said, look, I'm, I'm open, you know? Right. So I, I think you're off the hook, at least, at least for my, okay. my advantage. Oh, that's good. Um, <laughs> So then um, <clears throat> in your book, issue number five, I don't feel in love with my partner anymore. Now, you know, mm -hmm. this one, this one really struck me as being 
probably pretty common and, and, and very problematic because in our society, you know, we believe in uh, romantic, uh, we think fairy that, tale. yeah, the fairy tale, right. You, you know, if you, if you fall in love, you know, it's going to live happily ever after. And yet there seems to be a kind of a half-life to that roaring true love stage. What, what do you think? Right. Yes. One of the things I talk about in Love Hacks is that there's, if you think about your relationship on a continuum, it's a really nice way to view it where there's going to be peaks and valleys. You're going to go up and down and that's totally normal. But as long as you're, you're basically either staying the same or, or progressing, you're, you're doing well. But I think there's this idea that we have to feel in love all the time. Right. And that's not how it works. I mean, we're going to fall in love with our partner, kind of out of it, back in love. And that's totally okay. And so I think you're right. I think, I think these movies and our culture makes it seem like we should feel this way hundred percent. If we don't, there's something wrong. And I think we're, we're very quick now as a society to just end it. If we don't feel something because we're in this instant gratification society, we want something, we get it, if it doesn't work. We return it. Like it's just very quick. And I think we've lost a little bit of that patience to sort of overcome because there's so much growth, even in those moments where you're not feeling as connected. Okay, what can I learn from this? Or am I recognizing that I need a little space sometimes or vice versa? So I think there's a lot to be learned in those moments. So instead of exiting, what can we learn through this process? Right. You know, I, I came up with the term um, romantic perfectionism, which mm. is encapsulated by the idea of the fact that you know, the partner that's the right match for us is somebody that we should fall in love with and, and that the only real, uh, the best and highest uh, uh, and a way to enter into an intimate partnership is to fall in love with somebody who falls in love with you at the same time. Now, that yeah. seems pretty perfectionistic to me. It's like, uh, that's a pretty yeah. tall, or, tall order. <laughs> and it sounds kind of, right. seems yeah. kind of dicey. You know, and I was recently... Uh, date, I'm single and I was dating somebody mm -hmm. uh, and actually I met a couple of women and um, and I went out, you know, I was just kind of getting to know them. I'm not like, um, you know, a super horn dog anymore. It's just like I, I'm looking for love. Right. Yeah. So, uh -huh. you know, I'm being a pretty nice guy. I'm taking them out and we're going uh -huh. to shows or whatever. And um, and and they both kind of at some point um, dropped me. And I was confused. Mm. I was confused, and I asked my housekeeper about it, and she's actually got some wisdom. And she goes, "Well, did you try to make it with them after the third date?" And I said, mm. "No. I mean, we were holding hands, and there was a good night kiss." But uh -huh. she said, "Well, that's that's what it is. They just decided that you weren't into them, and so therefore, oh. boom, they they exited mm. the stage right." I thought, "Oh, you know what? I think she's right." That sort of felt sort of felt right. But, well, I mean, and that may be true, but I'm of the sort that why not check in with the person? You have nothing to lose and say, oh, hey, you know, I'm I'd like to continue this. I'm just checking in. How are you feeling? You know, because I think we create a lot of narratives in our head around relationships, which may or may not be true. But the best way to dispel that is to, to check in because they may say, oh, you know what? You're wonderful. My an old fling came back in the picture. I want to see what that happens. They may say, "Hey, I didn't feel the chemistry," or they may say, "Hey, I wasn't sure you were interested. I'm so glad you you asked me about it." Yeah, well, I wasn't sure I was interested either, but I was getting to know, <laughs> I was getting to know them. <laughs> right, right. 
No, it wasn't like terribly painful for me, but it was confusing. Sure. Um, okay, so, but I just think it's a lot of pressure. This is sort of like this, we feel like uh, we should be happy all the time. We yes. should be in love all the time. You know, it's mm -hmm. just like, uh, it's just so unrealistic and it just seems like right. a lot of pressure. It's like, I know a lot of people that are, they call it, what do they call that? Uh, um, spiritual bypassing or positive, toxic positivity. It's like, if they don't feel happy, then they feel guilty about not feeling happy. Yeah. You know, right. which exactly. doesn't, help. Yeah. doesn't help. So I think this idea that we should, do you think that falling in love, you know, I remember I read a book a long time ago and, and he said, falling in love is not a good basis for involvement. Mm, it's very um, that's, true. That's, I mean, there's, yeah, what do you think? Yeah, there's so many hormones at play um, that you're just not thinking totally clearly. So I can see that. But I think a lot of people, because that is such a good feeling and it's so intoxicating, I think they base that they should feel that way throughout the whole relationship. And it's just, you can't sustain that level. Um, you know, it happens for reasons you connect and, and, and all of that, but right. It's not sustainable. So it's, I love that you drug. said that. Yeah. Right. Correct. Now, another issue that I've would love to hear your take on in, in, in more detail is um, we can't trust each other after infidelity. And mm. so many people, you know, in this particularly monogamous people, they consider relationship, uh, uh, infidelity to be a relationship extinction event. Right. right. And, you know, I mean, there's nothing good about cheating. There's nothing good about breaking right. agreement. You know, this is clear. But what do mm -hmm. you, you know, you seem to not, you seem to kind of go along with Esther Perel on that one, where, right. you know, there could be some value yes. in, in, in recovering. Sure. I, that's exactly how I feel. I, I, of course, I mean, infidelity happens. It's, it's earth shattering. It's, it's terrible. It's a terrible feeling and it is life changing, but I do believe that if you can work, if both parties can work through it and there is work involved, then you can potentially have an even closer relationship after it happens mm -hmm. because you're basically starting from such a raw place that you can kind of only go up from there. And again, it takes work and time and it's not instant and it's not easy, but it is really possible. I've seen it with couples and, um, you know, and, and again, kind of what we we're talking about before the consumer, it's going to go up and down. You're going to feel frustrated. You're going to want to exit, you know, but it's, it's really trying to be patient with the process um, and understanding a little bit more about why it happened and, you know, on both ends, you know, what, what can we both do differently here to, to make us more connected. Um, and so I do believe that there can be a, a nice outcome afterward. Now, you don't really say much one way or the other in your book about polyamory, um, mm -hmm. whether you consider that to be a healthy thing or not. Um, mm -hmm. And it seems to me that, um, you know, after 5,000 years of patriarchy, where women have been um, dependent on men to mm -hmm. an inordinate extent, and it's not their fault, it's like they've been sure. like property. Um, that but they have they're conditioned to be dependent mm -hmm. on men even to this day when they don't really have to be because they might be making more money than a man um mm -hmm. what, what do you what do you think about polyamory it seems to be like a a trend line right now i, I read about it in the right. new york times and you know I'm wondering sure. what you think 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's so couple dependent. I think that both couples really need to be, uh, sorry, both partners really need to be on board. And there needs to be even stronger communication if you are going into polyamory. So if, you know, if communication is not your strong suit, I think it's going to be difficult because there's got to be a lot of honesty. And I think there just needs to be a lot of boundaries and structure established in order for it, for it to be healthy, where both people understand what they're undertaking and talking about feelings of jealousy or, um, you know, new relationship energy, things like that. So I, I definitely think it's possible. I just think they're the lines of communication really need to be open. And the other piece of that is just being prepared prepared for what feelings can arise because a lot of times I think in theory it sounds really exciting and then in practice a lot of couples may find oh this was harder than I thought or I'm more okay with this than I thought or, or vice versa and, and a lot of times you don't know that until something already happens so I think it's being prepared for different feelings that may come up yeah right yeah it seems like uh it seems like it would be pretty darn hard to succeed at if you didn't have like a really solid container of trust right. to begin with and if you did have that and and so every, most people are have an insecure attachment style so trust is probably right. more difficult for them um um but if let's say that you had you know i could see how opening up a relationship after you had established a great communication mm -hmm. and trust might actually help the relationship by you know spicing things up a little bit. I mean, again, I think it's just both people really have to be on board. And so the only thing I would caution is if one person really wants to do it and the other partner doesn't, I mean, it has to be one of those things where it's a, a yes, yes, for it to really work because we, we would never want to kind of coerce a partner into it or try to persuade them because then that can build later resentment. So as long as both people are on board and, and they're talking about it, um, you know, there's definitely possibilities there. Now, what about compatibility? You know, one of the issues that you bring up is we're too culturally different. Well, cultural mm -hmm. compatibility is one thing, but there's a lifestyle compatibility. There's, right. you know, uh, lots of different uh, aspects of compatibility. Sure. What do you think are the most important um, barometers of, of, of compatibility? Yeah. So in Love Hacks, I actually kind of list, you know, what qualities are you looking for? Because you're right. And, and I think it's this idea that it may change over time in your relationship, right? At the beginning of the relationship, you may say, hey, this is so important to me. And then you have kids and things shift and something else becomes important. So I think it's this idea that it may be fluid. Compatibility may be fluid, where at the beginning you may need a, a lot of different things that you need later on. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think what you mentioned for sure, I mean, to me, trust, it's like the hallmark of the relationship where it really needs to be there in order for both partners to feel safe. I think great communication between two people, right? You have to talk about these things and that takes time. And um, I think self-reflection is a big one too of, of you know, can we be self-reflective enough to, to take a look at our own parts? And so, you know, it's, it's really, I think it's those things, but a lot of people think it's just about you know, personality, like, right, I'm an introvert, he's an extrovert, is this going to work? But I, I think it goes deeper than that. I think it's, it's, you know, it's, it's more, you know, uh, do our values align, you know, things of that sort, because I think the other piece of it is a little more superficial, which you can get around, right? Like if an introvert 
there's an introverted partner and an extroverted partner. Okay, we can kind of figure that out. And someone goes to the party and someone stays home or they compromise. But the values, it's a little bit tougher um, if you're if you're really misaligned on that front. Yeah, right. I think, you know, being adaptable is pretty important. You know, I had a counselor once, he said the two most um, important factors in sustainable relationship are adaptability and conflict resolution. Mm-hmm. And you, you, talk, you talk about conflict resolution. Um, and I, what he said made a lot of sense, but it occurs to me that people that are in their 20s, they're a mm-hmm. lot more adaptable because they don't have, they're not set in their ways, mm-hmm. you know. True. Um, so it seems that, uh, that the phase of life makes, makes mm-hmm. a difference too. What, right. What would you say, what, what does it mean to be vulnerable with a partner? Hmm. I think it's so important. I think it's so important. It's one of the hardest things. And it's the most rewarding. Uh, I think that's the only way to have a really authentic and genuine connection is to be vulnerable. We have to talk about what's upsetting us, what's hurting us, what's embarrassing, what's shameful. Um, and that way we can, our partner know, I mean, that we forget. It's like, we think our partners should be mind readers and they're not. And we need to communicate a lot of this to them. And like I mentioned earlier, I think the more that we open up, the safer our partners feel. And so I think it's a it's a huge part of a of a relationship and feeling connected. You do you think I, do you think that men have a, a more difficult time getting vulnerable and admitting uh, to their yeah insecurities? Well, I think it's and sadly it's because of our culture. Men are conditioned that there is weakness in being vulnerable, right. and men shouldn't cry, and men shouldn't talk about their feelings. They need to be strong, and so it's not. It's not the man's fault. I mean, this is the way society is. And so it does, it's, it's, you know, I think it, for men, it's, it's really going against the grain and, and being okay with that and saying, yes, I understand that this is not the norm, but um, this is necessary in order for me to feel connected. You know, I'm just looking at the time and we're just about out of time. Is there, is there one last piece of advice you might want to give our listening audience today before we wrap up? Yeah, absolutely. So really quickly, uh, you know, a lot of people think, okay, in order to feel connected with my partner, I need to do something big. And and one thing I talk about in Love Hacks is something that I call T's. And it's quick partner connections with that acronym where T is traditions. What can you do together as a couple that's just for you? E is for efforts. Can we do something small for a partner? A is for acknowledgements. Can I just tell my partner how important they are to me, what they mean to me? S is silly. Can we be silly? We need to add lightness and talk in a foreign accent. And then E is erotic. Can I send my partner a steamy text first thing in the morning? And I think those things can help a lot in a relationship. Sounds good. You know, I want to thank you. There's so much more we could explore, but we have run (laughs) out of time. And it's really been delightful talking about your work and your book, Love Hacks. And I want to be sure to tell our listeners about your website, which is www.kellymillertherapy.com. That's Kelly, K-E-L-L-I, MillerTherapy.com, all one word. And for those who may have tuned into Pathways Late, this is your host, Paul O'Brien, author of Intuitive Intelligence, a book that shares the theme of Pathways, which is personal and cultural evolution. Now, don't worry, you can play and or share this interview whenever you want via the internet or as a free podcast, and I'll tell you how in a minute. Today, we've been visiting with Kelly Miller, author of Love Hacks, Simple Solutions to Your Most Common Relationship Issues. 
And I want to say thank you to all of our listeners for tuning into Pathways, which is broadcast and streamed on the internet at www.kboo.fm every Sunday morning at 8.30 USA Pacific Time. And even better, podcasts of today's show, which you can listen to and forward to others, are available for free at divination.com. That's spelled D-I-V-I nation.com, as well as via iTunes, Paulo's YouTube channel, and other free podcast servers. Well, this is Paul O'Brien reminding you to tell your friends about Pathways Radio and Podcasts. And remember to help KBOO reach our membership drive goal by showing your support today at kboo.fm slash give. Every donation helps keep KBOO on the air to bring you programming like Pathways. So we need your support. 80% of KBOO's budget comes from listeners like you. So please consider becoming a member and supporting independent, community-supported, volunteer-powered radio. And thanks again to Kelly Miller and to all of you listeners for tuning in and being a part of the Pathways Conversation.